there's a lot of negative emotions people have, especially as it relates to incorporating exercise, yeah. meditation. I'm not yeah. good at it. I don't have time for it. I, yeah. You know, all of these things. And, and when you just start getting them to feel that what we're actually doing is improving your body's ability to produce energy yeah. so that you can actually have even more time, yeah. then they start to so really busy. connect. They feel it. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today's guest is Joe DiStefano. Joe is an international speaker, fitness expert, and lifestyle coach. He is the host of the Stacked podcast and the founder of Runga, an experiential lifestyle brand that empowers individuals and corporations through highly effective and sustainable practices that fuel health, wellness, and performance. Hi, everybody. One day I got a call from a buddy of mine and a client of mine who just attended one of Joe DiStefano's Runga events. He said, Paul, you've really got to check out the Runga experience and Joe DiStefano. He was very excited about it. The Runga experience really helped me get grounded in my daily practice and I'm feeling and looking better than ever. Hearing that, I had to have a look into Runga and I was very impressed when I did. So I tracked down Joe DiStefano for a podcast together. Joe and I spent the day together recently enjoying great food, lifting stones, and talking about what makes life special. I think you'll really enjoy our intimate, honest conversation about what makes Runga powerful, special, and popular, even amongst the most elite athletes like Ben Greenfield. Our goal in this podcast is to give all of you something you can take away from the Runga experience for free and enhance your life. I know my life has been enhanced just by spending one day with Joe DiStefano, and I hope you enjoy him and our dialogue as much as I did. So let's jump into my conversation with Joe. All right. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. I have an exciting episode today. I'm going to introduce you to Joe DiStefano, the founder of Runga, and it's a very, very interesting system. I was first turned on to Runga and Joe DiStefano by... One of my clients and friends, Jared Picard, who's coached with me for quite a number of years, and Jared's a highly intelligent guy. He's a biodynamic farmer, and uh, he's somebody I, whose opinion I really trust. And Jared got a hold of me one day and says, Paul, you got to check out Runga, man. It's really, really good. And I said, well, what's good about it? And he said some magic words. He said, well, it's really inspired me to do a lot of the things you've been trying to get me to do for years. <laughs> I said, well, if it got you to do that, I got to talk. I got to check into it. Yeah. And so, um, Joe, uh, welcome to Living 4D, my friend. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Paul. Honored to be here. Thank you. And uh, as I was saying, I... Um, you know, I'm pretty critical of things because I have a depth of knowledge that allows me to kind of look right through things and see what's fluffy. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's so much shit out there, as you know, you know, yes. flavor of the month and every program in the world for get rich, get slim, get beautiful, quick. Right. And so when I looked at your program, well, the first thing I noticed was Ben Greenfield was in the group. And yeah. I said, well, if Ben's in there, it's got to be pretty good because Ben's <laughs> skillfully critical of everything. Right. And then um, I watched some videos, read the website, looked at the material, and, and my first thought was, wow, this is really well put together. Yeah. And later, when I talked to you, I got quite a surprise, which I'll let you describe later on, but I went, holy shit, that's really amazing. Yeah. And um, so congratulations on a fantastic program. And 
having looked at it and talked to you about it, you've put together some of the most important components of health, well-being, mental, emotional, self-management, self-actuation, a lot of key components that I could see right away had to have come from your own life experience. So since a lot of my listeners uh, won't be familiar with you, I'd love to just hear a little bit about who Joe DiStefano is and how did he kind of become the man that he is today? Yeah, well, thank you so much, Paul. And, uh, you know, it's it's really interesting because when I look back at myself and who I am and who I've become as a professional and a person, of course, my life from a young age was was definitely health-focused. So my family was very health-conscious, right? But guess what? In the 80s, 80s and 90s, that meant food pyramid, that mm, meant... Yeah you know, all sorts of things, but the intention was there. Yeah. And I think intention is ultimately what's most important, right? Yeah. Until, you know, I'll get to this, but my dad had a heart attack right in front of me when I was wow. 14. And, you know, that really, that probably shaped me. Yes, it would. More than any education I can tell you about, you know, mm-hmm. because ultimately it really threw a wrench. I remember when I was in the hospital, he made it, he made it through. He didn't pass away at that point. Um, but the doc said, you better, you know, kiss the steak and eggs goodbye. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we don't have that. We, you know, we, we drink water and eat salad at my house and yeah. eat pasta. Mm-hmm. So it was the first time that even at that age, I was kind of like, if those things cause heart attacks, then how did my dad have a heart attack? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So there was a question mark, but I'm 14. I'm, you know, in high school, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, but, but that sort of data point stuck mm-hmm. with me. Yeah, it would. And, it's, a, it's a very intense right. event and I can empathize with you because my father drowned when I was eight oh my gosh. and it, it it made me have this deep morbid fear of the water As it and so my compensation was I became a triathlete and I took swimming lessons in the army and and got to the point where I swam across the Chesapeake Bay and when I swam across the Chesapeake Bay which was five mile 4.7 mile swim I said okay that's enough I can back off now <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, as you do, as you do. So uh, very active growing up, la, 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 played sports, got really into, uh, I was really into kind of physical sports. My dad is funny. He he used to say, um, when I was really, ki- when I was a tiny kid, he would say, this kid's going to lift a ton before he can spell it, you <laughs> yeah, know, because yeah. I was a very active kid from a very young age, very explosive, um, got it really into baseball and skateboarding and all sorts of sports. Well, Fast forward around that same time as my dad's heart attack, freak accident, fractured skull, traumatic brain injury. Your father or you? Me. Oh, wow. How'd that happen? So this was the other big thing that shaped who I am today. And, you know, it was a freak accident. Honestly, Paul, just I was playing basketball. I don't tell the story very much. So um, I was playing basketball. Hey, you're the Runga guy, man. Lay it on the table. Lay it on the table. Let's be vulnerable. Playing basketball. Not a not a impermanent hoop, so not one of those like portable basketball hoops. Right. A real commercial basketball hoop right. fell on top of me. Oh my god! How and did it fall? Just rusted out. It was old, freak thing. Wow. So that carried with it, you know, a lot of trauma as a young kid waking up, not really knowing what's happening. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> fractured skull, traumatic brain injury, this whole thing. Now. There's a lot of, when that type of thing happens, there's two things. I think as a parent, I could never imagine what my parents went through, but 
I know that there was a certain sense of like, how quickly can he be okay? Right. How quickly can we get this past us? Mm-hmm. And so I think that that was an interesting thing because I think I fast-tracked a lot of the post-injury uh, rehab, et cetera, and about a decade later, the wheels started falling off. Yeah, that's, pretty no- that's fairly normal for um, closed head injuries. Yeah. Um, so I've had several. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about that. Yeah. Just yeah, you've got more than me, I think. Oh so. my god, yeah. Um, have you have you heard of Dr. Dan Engel, by the way? Dan Engel, yes, yeah. I've heard of him. He's a friend of mine. He wrote the concussion. I think the book's titled The Concussion Repair Manual. Okay, yeah, I think he's, I might have that in my library. Yeah, actually. he's a world leading. I've referred a number of people to him with really serious problems from either one big event or multiple events. Right. So he's a good guy to keep in your yeah, back pocket. One hundred percent. Uh, so, so fast forward, what this taught me when those wheels fell off and conventional medicine was not the solution, no. right? That actually almost drove me into a deep depression. It could, because, especially if they start giving you drugs. Right. And drugs and grim prognosis, you're going to be Michael J. Fox by 30, you know, mm. these types of things. Yeah. Thank, thank God I was... I found some great doctors in the Boston area and, you know, growing up in Boston, I mean, I'm, I'm surrounded by some of the best medicine in the world Mm and, uh, found some really great docs that, that mended me now as a professional, helping people get healthy, fit. Well, the traumatic brain injury, once you get through that and you start, you know, now you can walk in a straight line. Now you can do these things. It's blessed me with this sensitivity that is, that is so, so much greater than the average person mm-hmm. that I have an ability to kind of push people in directions that maybe I wouldn't otherwise be able to. And what I mean by that is if I miss a, if I miss a day of physical activity, mm-hmm. if I eat too much gluten or sugar, yeah. if I miss a night of sleep, yep. the wheels start falling off very, very, very quickly. Yeah. So with traumatic brain injury, these things are just magnified. Sure. So yeah. even if you have a client that says, "Oh, I, I sleep t- two to six. You know, I mm-hmm. I don't need that much sleep. I can function mm-hmm. well." I hang out with Tony Robbins. <laughs> exactly. I do sleep deprivation. Right. Yeah. Right. You're here seeing me because you're a patient now. <laughs> right. It's um, so I feel like it's allowed me to kind of develop these hypotheses uh, around like it's healthy till it's stressful, or this idea of cumulative stress load, yes. that diet and late nights yes. and all these things culminate in the body. They do. And, um, so those two things shaped my, my sort of vision for how I wanted to help people get well. Um, now, you know, if we, if we want to go into education, my undergrads in exercise science, yeah. um, after exercise science, I opened a gym and, and I was working with baseball athletes. And I realized that if you're going to, if you're going to work with people and you want to be a coach, Exercise physiology is not the tool that you need. No. You need to be a psychiatrist. You need to be a psychologist. Yes. And a lot of other things. <laughs> and a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. So I went back to school for psychology and- Oh, um, wow. Good. Yeah. And you know, what's funny is though, I didn't finish that degree because I, my business started doing well and I, I felt like I took the nuggets I needed. Yeah. Well, that's fine. So, it's um, called practical learning. Practical learning. And so here I am 16 years later. Runga is this, is this culmination of- all of these sort of trials and tribulations that I learned. Now, my sort of, it's funny what you said about the five mile swim there in in Chesapeake Bay, because I got really into endurance sports, did a really long triathlon, the next day sold my bike. I haven't been on a bike since, that was in 2007. Yeah, you you learned? Learned, I learned. (laughs) But the funny thing was, is 
So 2007, I kind of, I kind of, that's when the wheels really started to fall off. Mm. And I was also, I was my fittest, but I was my sickest. And you have mm. a, you've started, you had a term for that. Yeah. The fit sick, the person. fit sick person. Yeah. I've never been fitter. I've never been sicker. Yeah. And, um, so I kind of hung it up and I really, that's when I was going through a lot of this rehab work to try to build myself back up. Well, 2010, I got involved with a company that was promoting, um, obstacle racing. So like running mm-hmm. through the mud, mm-hmm. throwing spears, climbing over walls. Mm-hmm. And it was the, it was the, um, it was the yang I needed. Mm-hmm. Like it was the, it was like the bravado. It was like the, mm-hmm. the energy to get me going again. Mm-hmm. Might've been also time for you to activate the warrior archetype mm. and express that part of yourself, yeah. the commitment to meeting an objective, right? You know, even if it's uncomfortable. Yeah. 100. It resonated very deeply with me. Yeah. And I ended up staying um, at Spartan for over eight years. Wow. Now, where Runga began was it was my yin in that world. Mm-hmm. So after a couple of years, I needed that sort of, that that time down, that calmness, that, that introspection, that mindfulness, because I felt like I went too far mm-hmm. down that kind of more masculine rabbit hole. And I needed that like kind of feminine energy to come back. In. Yeah. And so over the last five or six years, I started hosting one event a year. And over the last couple of years, we've done a few more than that. And Runga's become what it is. And it's mm-hmm. it's a very grounding um, experience that really helps people get in touch with themselves mm. so that they can do whatever it is that they do. You know, the surprise that, that you hit me with was you took HLC1. Where in the sequence of events yeah. did you take that? And so, that must have been an interesting experience for you. So it was it was mind-blowing. And I'm, I'm <laughs> it's funny, I left that out. So after my degree, mm-hmm. okay, I finished my degree in 2007. Yeah. I was that sickest, the the, the healthiest sick person, excuse me, the, fit the sick sickest person. fit person ever. Yeah. Um, and my doctors and things would just say, and this was when I, the wheels were starting to come off from the head injury, but I hadn't associated the issues I was having with the head trauma right. at that point. Mm-hmm. So I ended up signing up for HLC1 mm. out of almost desperation, mm-hmm. right? Knowing, and it was my college professors were like, you guys, you're nuts for going to that. You know, mm-hmm. that, you know the one or two that had actually heard of it mm-hmm. because it was so contrary to what I had been taught. I was taught low fat, high carb, especially if you're an athlete, you know, Pump it, pump in the the wheat bread, and you know keep fat low, whatever. Um, went to HLC one. Now that program had profound impacts on me. Good, and it was a rippling. So I had invested. You know, I was I grew up with the food pyramid. I've been reading food labels since I was five years old, mm-hmm. right? And quitting peanut butter because it had too much fat. And, right. You know, as a kid. So when I go through HLC one in Boston, everything in there was opposite of what I had learned. Right. Who was your instructor? J.P. Sears. Oh, well, how cool is that? Yeah, J.P. Sears. The man. <laughs> the man. So it was in Boston, and um, I can't remember how many days it was at this point. but It's three-day course. Three-day course. So that course, everything in there was outside my comfort zone because mm. it was, I, I have a degree. I, I know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And and we did metabolic typing right. for the first time. And um all of a sudden, I remember we walked to Whole Foods at lunch and JP was talking about my metalock type and, and what I needed to do and talking about butter. Mm-hmm. Like butter. JP loves butter and Are chicken. You, That's yeah. his favorite. <laughs> he put me on a butter chicken diet. Right on. So basically what happened was I was on this extremely high gluten, high, you know, I'm Italian, right? Yeah. So I grew up with this and, mm-hmm. you know, I used to go and I would 
eat a lot of bread because that's mm. just what we ran on. Mm-hmm. And um, funny thing, just anecdotally, I had this rash on my neck my whole life. Yeah. Two weeks of of a clean diet and it went away. A check diet. A check diet. Mm-hmm. So JP pushed me onto this, um, pushed me onto what I would refer to kind of as keto. Yeah. All right. So um, or stu- fast oxidizer and metabolic type. Yep. Fast oxidizer, very protein rich, um, butter, olive oils, uh, coconut, and um, it was. I started to get better. Yeah, And I went to my neurologist and they were like, this is a similar diet to the high fat type of diet used in epilepsy and, you know, some of these conditions. So I started to like, what happened with HLC1, I probably learned a hundred things. When I walked out of the door, I believed two of them. Yeah. I remember going back and, and saying, they think that the light from an alarm clock is too much to have during sleep. It is. Every six months to a year, like another 10% of that class came true. Wow. Right? As I continued to learn and develop and grow and put some of my, my, the things I thought I knew behind me. It must have been interesting too for you to learn the concept of working in and That's how to look at your balance of masculine relative to feminine energy output or lack of cultivation of feminine because you were very yanged out. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the zone exercises, I still do them today. Right on, man. Um, it's so I And I remember learning them for the first time in that class. Now I know there's the pre-reading at the time and I, mm-hmm. I knew what they were, but going through them and actually learning them is different than when you, you read them in the book yes, and you do them is, at yeah. home and you're, mm-hmm. you think like... You think you're doing it, but then you find out from an instructor that you aren't doing it, right? Right, exactly. That's why we have the training program yeah for sure well the reason i brought it up not so much to market the czech institute which of course i want to do because i believe in what i teach but when i saw what you had in runga Mm -hmm. and i was getting such positive feedback and i saw ben greenfield's association Mm -hmm. and my own client said this guy's teaching me almost the same stuff that you taught me, but somehow he's inspired me to do it. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's really interesting. And then yeah. when I was talking to you and you said I took HLC1, I went, wow, if an HLC1 student yeah. can take the concepts and put a program like this together, well, paradoxically, I was patting both of us on the back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well-deserved. No, the, the class, I can say, definitely changed my life. And it was really interesting because, like I said, it was like every year 10% more came true. Yeah. And um, now I, the knowledge I had prior to that moment is out the window. And you know, now I'm fully, I'm a very, I eat very clean. I live very clean. I, you don't I'm, have a rash on your neck? I don't have a rash on my neck. I don't, my, we have Ethernet cords at the house. Yeah. We, you know, we're, we're all in. Yeah, and when you come to Runga, we we rent a, an amazing private home mm-hmm. that we convert into our own. Right. So it is very much a weekend away in Paul Check's house, in right on, man. Joe's house, in Ben's house. Yeah, and all the bells and whistles that you know maybe you see us using and biohacking devices or or just areas of space. You know, like your amazing statues and chargers and things outside, like yeah. these things you know, exist at Runga and people see them for their own, for themselves. And they realize how to incorporate all these things into a healthy, sustainable lifestyle. Yes. And when they leave, they're theirs. In this podcast, you'll hear Joe DiStefano and I talk about the importance of family, community, exercise, mindfulness, meditation, and high quality food. In fact, Hippocrates said food should be man's first medicine. And in today's busy 
hustle-bustle world, many don't have or don't take the time to cook nutritious organic whole food meals. But guess what? Organifi has made a wide variety of excellent certified organic products from superfood drinks to protein supplements that are quick, easy, and tasty, effective sources of nutrition for the whole family and athletes alike. My family, clients, and many of the athletes I coach and train love them, and I'm confident you'll notice a difference in how you feel right away. To check them out, go to O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. That's Organifi.com and have a look at their amazing product line. To get your Living 4D with Paul Check discount at checkout, use the code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K20. That's CHECK20, all caps. To get to know Drew Canoli, the founder of Organifi, listen to my awesome podcast with Drew Canoli, number 64, UBU. Drew Canoli, number 64, UBU. And hear about his amazing book. And I'm sure that when you experience the authenticity and the love and the beauty of Drew Canoli, It'll be natural for you to want to try his products because they're a mirror image of his beauty. Hope you enjoy them. As always, I love your feedback on any of my podcasts and any of the products I share with you here. Lots of love and joy. What I thought was interesting too, because I asked you if Runga was like, had a meaning like an acronym, mm-hmm. like I check corrective holistic exercise kinesiology, right. um, but I'd love you to share the, the the story you shared with me about how you got the name Runga. Right. So it, w- it was really interesting. So again, when I was part of that company that, you know, exploded from eight guys sitting at a table to a million participants in 20 some odd countries around the world. Mm-hmm. Spartan racing. Spartan race. Yeah. The number of flights that I were, was on was for a handful of years. It was up there with your numbers, right? Yeah. These are professional numbers, hardcore, hardcore numbers. And again, it's it's Australia, Barcelona. It's not Boston, New York. Yeah. You know? um, and I was burned out. Yes. And again, I had just come out of my traumatic brain injury stuff, and I was yeah. I was delicate, right? Mm-hmm. So about 2013, I took a trip, and I went away for eight days down in Costa Rica. No cell phones, no computers. It was my first digital detox because I had identified the phone addiction, mm. the email addiction, mm-hmm. the where do I, what did I forget to do? Who did I forget to please? What, yeah. where do I, where am I going to be tomorrow? This ungroundedness. Yes. It was, my phone was the, was the, was the communication. That was how I was getting all this negative information. The nexus of your the life. The nexus of my life. So yeah. I charged my phone and threw the charger out brought a charged phone that was off. So if I had an emergency, I had a phone, yeah. but I didn't want to be tempted to use any of the email or social media. So I was off the grid for eight days and I did AM, PM yoga, very hot yoga at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then throughout the day, I would do a ton of breath work and mindfulness and I would just sit and stare and do a lot of these kind of just grounding practices, spend a ton of time in nature, whitewater rafting, whatever I needed to do to kind of get into my body. Now that AM PM yoga class was this like they were like the bookends on the day. Right. It was a pretty arduous yoga flow. Yeah. And um in the middle of the class, Chaturanga was this kind of relaxing push-up pose mm-hmm. where you might have been flowing for 15 minutes without stopping and mm-hmm. you're just dripping sweat and you're exhausted. You're exactly how I felt before I left home. <laughs> yeah. And it's like a circuit workout. It was like a circuit workout. It was really hard. And um but then Chaturanga was a big exhale with a push-up. Mm. And to me, it was a it was a metaphor for what I was actually doing. It was like my life 
mm-hmm. and the time that I'm in right now. Yeah. And when I wanted to the following year go away again and do the exact same thing, and I decided to invite friends that happened to be guys like Ben, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't know what to name it. And I said, well, Chaturanga really resonated with me, but Chaturanga, you can't call it that. So, Sounds like a city. I know. I cleaned, cleaved Chattanooga. Off, <laughs> Chattanooga. I cleaved off the front, called it Runga, spelt it different, made it my own. And, and very quickly, people said, you know, this is my Runga tribe, or it's a Runga thing. Or, yeah. And so I knew it was, it was going to stick. And the year after that, we let people sign up for it. And um, that was how it started. That's amazing. It's a beautiful story. And, you know, it's also the story of the wounded healer. Yeah. You know, the, the, the people that work through their own wounds, their physical wounds, their emotional, mental health challenges, right. to bring themselves to a point of understanding become authentic teachers, not intellectual copy machines, right. you know, and there's too many of those out there and right. misleading a lot of people, as you know. So what I did to kind of uh, take a lot of information and break it down into something that we could do for the podcast to help people really get a sense of Runga and you and the components and get some meat and potatoes that they can walk away with is we broke the anatomy of Runga down mm-hmm. for the outline. So let's start with the heart of Runga. Right. The, 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 you know, the heart, if, if there's no heart, then something doesn't live. So for those of you listening, what I did is I, I went with Joe and we broke the anatomy down from that which is the most essential components to that which builds upon those essential components. The analogy I give Joe is when you build a house, you got to start with the foundation before you get to the roof and the chandeliers. So let's <laughs> get to the foundation and build up. Right. So we're actually going to take you on a journey through the components of Runga and hopefully inspire you to try some of them on your own. And knowing as much as I do when you try any one of these things, and I know now Joe's a master motivator, uh, <laughs> If you go into your own practice with any number of these things and you feel inspired to go uh, meet Joe and, and his crew at Runga, then by all means, get, get you know, Joe will give you the contacts, but look yeah. into it because I wouldn't be talking about it if I didn't think it was really good. So give us the heart of Runga. So the heart of Runga really is the environment, the experience the people and the energy mm. that's cultivated in this weekend or right. single day or mm. private event, whatever it might be. The the energy at Runga is that of it's extremely safe and nurturing mm-hmm. and open. It really gives people permission to be themselves but feel into themselves. Right. And there gives them the tools to feel in too. We give them the tools and yeah. we give them again that sort of that sort of safety net where, you know, it's, it's a very, it's a very, um, from the second you walk in, mm-hmm. you can feel it. Mm-hmm. You can feel what's happening and everyone's there often for the same reason. Do men cry there? <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> it's, because it's safe, you know? Yeah, it's safe, but it's, it's a very, it's, it's almost inexplicable. It's the energy that's kind of created is sure there's some tears occasionally but it's not an AA meeting or anything no, but it's, it's but yeah. it's it's this environment where people feel that they're finally able to be themselves mm-hmm. and they feel that they are part of something greater than themselves well you see the thing is too you're bringing 
people together that have common values. Exactly. And goals and objectives and dreams and probably often common wounds to heal. Have you noticed that when you get a group of people together, there's almost always a common theme amongst them? It's it's almost creepy how when you talk to somebody, and we talk to everybody before the event, yeah. uh, the immersion event in September, which is our flagship event, we talk to everybody before, and and on those calls, you know, we'll dive deep. Sometimes we don't dive real deep. Mm-hmm. Um, it's as deep as they allow us in. Yeah, well, that's the but best thing. Otherwise, they, it's too scary. Right. But when they get to the event and that they feel that, that sort of nurturing environment and that safe mm-hmm. space, we often find out more. And it's very interesting that year over year, there are without question themes in the group that maybe we knew about in part or maybe we didn't. Right. And that allows for people to be surrounded by people that are like them dealing with these same types of issues feeling into this community that they're now a part of Mm -hmm. and that alone just tools and toolboxes aside Mm. that alone gives them some intrinsic Mm -hmm. empowerment that they didn't have before and Mm -hmm. some some feeling of of confidence and self that they can then take to these things that they've Mm. maybe been not putting off but putting off well you know two of the most important things in a situation like that is connection and relationship so the connection you can connect to yourself and you can connect to other people but when you have relationship you have an opportunity to share what's real for you ask questions and gain the wisdom and the experience of seeing what other people have worked through and how they've solved those riddles right so you know, having run a number of these types of healing groups myself and healing ceremonies with plant medicines, I find that there's oftentimes as much medicine in the connection and the relationships as there is in the medicine, Mm -hmm. whichever that might be, breathing, plant medicines, exercise, meditation, whatever. So I think that's a really important um, component. Without a, without a <clears throat> doubt, when you when you have that kind of environment, that environment of I call it the environment of impossible failure. Failure. The interesting thing is then when you incorporate these other practices, and and we'll get to some of them. There's this upload that is like they've never experienced. Yeah. So if somebody goes into the gym and they want to learn how to do the Turkish getup. Mm-hmm. And it's a crowded gym and there's people all over the place and they're trying to learn this thing. And maybe their coach is like, no, not quite like that. Not quite like that. Not quite like that. Mm -hmm. They've got so much outside of the thing distracting them from learning. Mm, Yeah. and Or they're afraid to fail in front of people. Exactly. Exactly. And at Runga, when that's stripped away, Mm -hmm. I've had an easier time teaching Turkish get-ups to overweight, middle-aged men and women that have never really worked out before than professional athletes that allegedly know their body inside and out. Right. And so there's this really intense upload of information mm-hmm. that's, uh, that, that, that not only like brings it into reach, yeah. but it, they own it. Yeah. It's, it's in their heart. There's levity and love and connection. Yeah. You know, people inspire us. Uh, you know, you reminded me of a quote by Aubrey Hepburn. She says, nothing's impossible. The word itself says, I'm possible. <laughs> hey, that's a, great, that's a great quote. Yeah. So next is the lungs. Right. What's the lungs? Breath. 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 Yeah, man. You know, lungs are for breathing. Yeah. You know, when, when you ask me that question, there's only one thing to say. And breath is really at the core of Runga. And it was really the practice that 
brought me out of my little negative place, mm -hmm. right? So I had a doc that basically told me that, you know, it's not about showing up. It's about intention. It's about mm -hmm. getting in control and it's mm -hmm. about calming your breathing down. And mm -hmm. um, breathing has been a major part of my life, just mm -hmm. learning to nose breathe mm -hmm. and controlling the pace of breath. And mm -hmm. it was really interesting when I, when I first really got into breath, which is when I was going through some of this rehab stuff and, and learning how to get back on my feet, it jarred all these memories. My grandmother has been a performer her whole life, a singer, a dancer. She's been doing breath techniques with me since I was a baby. Mm -hmm. My mom, I used to have anxiety before school mm -hmm. and I would have to take 10 breaths before I got on the bus. Mm -hmm. And so there was this like, and I think it was the Fruit Loops now looking in retrospect, but <laughs> but um, but breath is core to Runga and whether we're doing um, meditation, whether we're doing kettlebells, whether we're on an exercise bike or doing something, learning how to train aerobically, we manipulate, we breathe intentionally, we have different protocols and things to help people feel what we're trying to get them to feel. Yes. And uh, breath just runs through it. The, the feeling nature is very, very important because our culture is so trapped in its head. Yeah. You know, if you are you familiar with Jung's consciousness compass, his four qualities of consciousness? Yes, yes. So thinking, feeling, sensation, and intuition. Yep. So thinking is counterbalanced. So just like yin's complementary opposite is yang, yep. thinking is complementary opposed. It's complementary opposition is feeling. But those, the more you're thinking, the less you're feeling. Right. The more you're sensing, the less you intuit. The more you're intuiting, the less you sense. The more you're feeling, the less you're thinking. And our culture is so trapped in digital technologies and we're in, you know, we're past the information now. We're in the age of context, but we've still are heavily steeped in information. Right. So people are so actually um, caught in the structure of ideas and using ideas and expressing and shopping them that they actually get so up in their head, they depart from their bodies and they lose their capacity to feel and when you lose your capacity to feel, you lose your connection to your body. You lose your connection to your breath, to your digestion, to your musculoskeletal system. And then people actually don't know something's wrong until they've got a disease or something's terribly broken. And they are surprised like, oh my God, how'd this happen? Right. But it's been happening for years. Right. But you just didn't know because you were too busy on your, excuse me, your <laughs> computer or your iPhone, right? Right. So it's it's great that you're bringing people into the feeling component because it is the complementary opposite that balances the thinking uh, disease of our culture. Without a doubt. And and that's that's the recipe, right? Yeah. So everything being very hands-on and and getting people into their bodies, getting people to feel, giving them the the sort of permission to kind of, you know, in many cases there's and there's also this like Again, these emotions, these thinking emotions, and when those emotions in the in the mind, the thought is about shaming about not doing it good enough or mm -hmm. not doing it often, whatever the the guilt or shame or there's a lot of negative emotions people have, especially as it relates to incorporating exercise, yeah. meditation. I'm not yeah. good at it. I don't have time for it. I, yeah. you know, all of these things, and and when you just start getting them to feel that what we're actually doing is improving your body's ability to produce energy, yeah. So that you can actually have even more time, yeah. Then they start to so really busy. connect. They feel it, chasing doctors and pills, exactly, exactly. and feeling like shit, right? Staring at television screens, <sighs> telling yourself you don't have time to exercise. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. And that's, that's the big thing. I mean, I just, I just funny story. I had a guy this week that, um, he said something to the effect of, you know, it must be nice to have time to sauna or something. Yeah. And I, I kind of like went into it and I was like, well, it's Saturday. I'm in the sauna. Like, why is this such a privilege? Mm -hmm. And it was a time thing that he was, he was kind of alluding to, like, must be nice to have time to burn in a sauna or something. Mm -hmm. And after I got to really talking to him, he had watched almost 300 movies in 2019 because that's his hobby. Well, there you go. There's this and I said, sauna. <laughs> it's a cold sauna. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, we're talking about 30 minutes on a Saturday at a sauna. Yeah. We want to, you know, somebody wants to point and say, must be nice to have time to do a sauna. Yeah. But upon further discussion, there's, there's massive amounts of time being wasted in so many directions. Those are classic symptoms of somebody who does not know how to uh, deal with the challenge of their life and the right. choices they're making so they use distractions it's a, yeah. it's it's no different than taking drugs to get rid of minor aches and pains that are the results of just not paying attention right it's a it's a uh, avoidance tactic right and that self-reliance and and responsibility mm -hmm. to govern each minute of the day or yeah. or to at least do your best during each day to to fulfill your purpose and yeah. connect with others it gives people a whole new perspective. Yeah. And all of a sudden they do have time for these things. One of the things too, and I'm sure you know this intimately from your work and your just being a human being in modern era is most people don't have a purpose outside of what they think they have to do to make money. Right. And most people are so overextended financially that they end up working themselves into submission and don't start living till they get home and have a bottle of beer or alcohol or wine of some kind or now pot and some kind of mindless television. Mm -hmm. And really, you know, when a person realizes that that's not living and, and that there's more to life than making money and there's no worse thing to do than prostitute yourself for money, what I teach people is get clear on what your dream is. And if your work isn't supporting your dream, then you're not living a life with purpose or meaning. And that is a source of disease in itself. Yeah. Because we're, when you have no sense of meaning or direction, you're disconnected. Meaning brings the circle together. So when we have an electrical circuit, you have to have flow through the circuit or nothing moves. So if a person doesn't have a sense of meaning other than this sense of surviving the corporate rat race, then yeah, they're going to tell you you're lucky to have time to sauna, but they don't realize that all their time is spent medicating a life that lacks meaning. Right. And this, and the, there's also just like you said about the coming home and watch TV mindlessly or drinking or, and there's so much interconnectedness. And I think what's dangerous in some of those scenarios. And I think what Runga's helped some people see for themselves is sometimes there's, there's two things one of them is we chalk that up to like the hard work that I need to do to do A, B, and C. So we start to flip a lack of purpose or misdirection into a positive. Yes. Into a look at what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's all the, then maybe there's like some, and another area that I'm thinking right now is just that there's also folks that do good things like exercise. Mm -hmm in the context of a unknown silent compensation for some other vacuum. Some yeah, other, it's a well-known addiction. Yeah, spiritual, whatever. Distraction. And so one of the interesting things at our events is that we've seen people walk in the door and say, 
I'm an Ironman triathlete and I do this and I'm training for my next one and I'm going to do this. And by the end of the weekend, they're like, I think I'm done. Yeah. I think I'm good. Yeah. And I've realized that that was a big thing to, to kind of make myself feel A, B, and C or deal with my sugar addiction mm-hmm. or, and those types of reactions, these types of responses mm-hmm. have been pretty consistent. And so this getting people in touch with what their objectives and intentions and how they're spending their time and energy has been pretty core. Hi, guys. In this episode, you'll hear Joe DiStefano and I talk all about the key elements of a holistic, grounded, vital lifestyle, including the importance of organic whole food meals. But eating organic whole foods isn't enough for most people because one of the first things to go when we are under stress or have not been fortunate enough to eat organic raw produce is our digestive enzyme production. When our stomach stops producing hydrochloric acid, we can't break down proteins effectively, which opens the door wide for parasite infections, food intolerances, low energy states, and not to mention challenges with our bowels and cognitive performance. We often find that eating vegetables with the fiber they contain makes us feel gassy and bloated. This can all be alleviated completely or significantly by using top quality digestive enzymes and probiotics, and I've never found a better product line to enhance your digestion, energy production, metabolism, assimilation, and elimination than the Bioptimizer line. I use them every day myself and my family and my clients and athletes, most of them that I've been able to turn on to them, uh, all use them with great success. I can't recommend them enough, honestly. Living 4D with Paul Check listeners get a huge 27% discount on the upgraded digestion package consisting of four great op- uh, Bioptimizer products that I actually personally use. To get your discount and shop around for their amazing products and see what they have for you, go to B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com forward slash number four, capital D, capital L, and at checkout, use the code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 10. That's check 10, all caps. That's BIOptimizers.com forward slash number four, capital D, capital L. At checkout, all caps, check 10. For an amazing learning experience and to meet the co-founder of Bioptimizers, check out the Living 4D episode number 55, Wade Lightheart Digestion, Enzymes, Probiotics, and Enhanced Well-Being. Not only will you hear Wade explain the advanced technology used in the creation of Bioptimizers' excellent enzymes and products, you'll be amazed at the deep wisdom and beauty of Wade Lightheart, and you might be surprised to know this guy made it all the way to Mr. Universe as a vegetarian bodybuilder. And I don't think anybody other than Bill Pearl himself has ever done that. He is a truly special, highly intelligent man. So if you really want to get a sense of who's behind these Bioptimizers products, have a listen to the episode and uh, feel free to check out the website. I use them all the time myself. I love them. Excellent products. I'm excited to be able to share them with you. Enjoy the show today. Well, you know, I think... Our previous discussion of thinking versus feeling, feeling is related to values. And a lot of our emotional states that we have negative emotional states, if you want to classify, you know, negative emotions aren't really negative because all of emotions are informative. 
But when a person starts tapping into their feeling, they start becoming aware of what the values that they have been living are versus the values that really actually create more freedom in their life. And when a person that's been using athletics as medication realizes that it's actually not creating freedom anymore, Mm -hmm. they can have a, a, a lightning flash of realization that you know, maybe less triathlons and more time walking in nature or just being in my sauna or giving myself permission to not have to think about anything might be the next phase of my growth edge or my development. And so bringing people to that realization is, is real medicine, in my opinion. That's real medicine. Yeah. Next in our anatomy train here <laughs> is mitochondrial optimization. So you have several things in there, cold heat, kettlebell, and aerobic. Can mm-hmm. you walk us through? Tell us, in your opinion, what do you mean? You know, I, of course, I know what you mean, but for the listeners, what do you mean when you say mitochondrial optimization? Yeah, so we want to get their bodies better equipped to produce energy. Yeah. So I think this whole thing we just got over talking about about time Mm -hmm. is actually, you know, this feeling that we don't have time for anything is also intimately related to a declining energy producing system in in a lot of our bodies, Yeah, right? So our mitochondria, which is the the workhorse, the cell producing a lot of our, especially of our aerobic energy. Yeah. We're having numbers drop, quality drop, dysfunction, lots of free radicals being produced. And so, what the body needs to become more efficient at energy production is manipulations of oxygen, like which would be our aerobic training, mm-hmm. uh, experiencing things like hot and cold, mm-hmm. so that the body has to kind of work adapt. to adapt and, mm-hmm. and find homeostasis. So mm-hmm. when we think about mitochondrial optimization, which is ultimately what it is, uh, it's all of these practices that help us live longer. Yeah. And help us produce energy more efficiently so that we can hit all of the check marks we need to hit each day, mm-hmm. still have energy to go home to the family and, and be the father, be the husband, be the wife. And not be on Viagra at 20 years old. And not be on Viagra at 20 years old. It's it's amazing. I've, I've had two 18-year-olds reach out to me because they're asking me how to get off of Viagra. And I'm like, you kidding me? You're 18 and you're on Viagra and they're both athletes. I'm like, my God, when I was 18 years old, I could use my penis as a dinner bell, you know? It was like steel. <laughs> yeah. I was like trying to get the thing to go away. But, you know, one of the things we haven't mentioned that I think is important, you know, one of the big problems with mitochondrial issues is people chronically using antibiotics for so much mm-hmm. because mitochondria are bacteria. They're bacteria in our cells. Right. And it's well shown in the research that antibiotics actually wipe out your mitochondrial population. And research also shows, interestingly, that exercise can increase mitochondrial populations by 300% in as little as, I think, four weeks of aerobic exercise. So the two points that I'm making is you have the right recipe there for mitochondrial stimulation, but a lot of people don't realize that a lot of what conventional medicine pushes off for every pimple and bump has led to a lot of energy deficits in people and the way they live and the way they eat is not replenishing that. So it seems to me that you again have brought a form of real medicine in and if people get fit and do the kind of things that both of us teach, they don't need to be on antibiotics all the time. Right, 100%. And it's so interesting because you know, in the event we might give them the tools, right? We're going to teach you how to do this type of aerobic exercise. And again, we'll be doing certain types of breath work while you're on the bike and, yeah. and doing all sorts of really creative, cool stuff. 
but we'll get to food. But when we get to meals, mm -hmm. these are the conversations that are happening over dinner. Yeah. So, and this is pretty invaluable, right? When Ben's at the table and, you know, our other experts and myself and, and the conversations at the dinner table, people have said have been some of the most impactful conversations of their lives because mm -hmm. this is where they're, the rubber's hitting the road. And that's, you know, if you look at the history of the dinner table and families, it's usually a time, at least in my experience of families and having studied ceremony and, and family structure, the dinner table is where intelligent, meaningful conversation about something happens, whether it be what was the meaning of, you know, the matrix or right. what did you get out of it or what's the challenge that you're facing or something like that. So because a dinner time experience is, is really tribal connection through the ceremonial experience of eating and, and worship, you know, worshiping, yeah. if, if they're conscious, worshiping the fact that we're eating life and life has given itself to us. So there's a lot of bonding, you know, you're sharing deep experiences, you're sharing food, you're sharing uh, conversation, you're sharing energy, you're sharing uh, gesture, you're sharing facial expressions, uh, <laughs> you're sharing farts. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> Hopefully not too many. Well, it depends on, you know, uh, how good your gut is. But uh, Although Ben is known to floss at dinner. For whatever. <laughs> Is that right? That's cute. Uh, I'm known to use but, toothpicks all the time. But yeah, that's a beautiful component. I really love that. And, you know, when I have people up here for healing ceremonies and work, dinner is one of our favorite times together, and yeah. everybody loves Penny's cooking. So I've yeah. never had anybody come here that didn't like Penny's cooking. Unfortunately, you guys don't know this, but today the power went out up here. So Penny brought our gas barbecue up here and ran out and bought us a, a, a generator to power my vaporizer in the kettle. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing lunch. Yeah. Great. So within your mitochondrial optimization plan, uh, we've got a few components, cold heat, mm -hmm. kettlebell. You want to kind of break some of those down and talk yeah, about them? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, hot, cold, you know, might mm -hmm. be more self-explanatory. So, we, we do uh, ice baths and, and we really, you know, we'll actually have a whole bunch of the tubs and sometimes we'll do different temperatures. So people over the course of the three or four days or however brave. Long, they can get braver and braver <laughs> yeah. and braver. And, uh, and we really kind of teach them how to breathe, how to, how to get into the tub, how mm -hmm. to make this their own and, mm -hmm. and talk a lot about the benefits of cold showers and hot and sauna. And, yeah. But as, as it relates to the exercise component, it's really, we call it physical longevity training, right? Uh -huh. Because I think a lot of the issues that people have, and it's always funny when people say, you know, maybe on a, you know, an email or something, you know, uh, I got to get in shape for Runga. <laughs> and it, it's just, I always chuckle at that because one of the things that I think we do at Runga the best is we show people just how exercise, this pursuit of health over the years mm -hmm. and this pursuit of fitness have gotten crosswired. Yeah. It's become more of a, a dick swinging contest. Yeah. You know, I'm sure you're a male, right? Yeah. How big is your bench press? Right. You know, how fast can you run the 40? And, you know, I won't give the rest of it right. just to keep it a little more grounded, but, yeah. you know, the male psyche. But even we've got so many masculinized females in the exercise mm -hmm. community. They're just guys with tits <laughs> and they suffer the, the same problems, except their bodies aren't designed for that. You know, yeah. when a woman starts dropping down 
you know, around 13% body fat, she usually starts to have a collapse of her menstrual cycle and hormonal dysregulation. And I've worked with countless numbers of them. And, and I think this, you know, what I'm saying is that a lot of the kind of the exercise consciousness today is how badly can you torture yourself? Exactly. And if you're not really in pain, then you're a pussy and you're not really exercising. So, you know, you're not in my club. Exactly. And then even apart from that, it's the relationship with that form of masochistic exercise is in many cases a compensation because I went out and had pizza last night. Well, it is. There's yeah. this intimate yeah. tie. Yeah to lifestyle that's a negative connotation it's a it's a negative relationship they're negotiating with god for the sin that's exactly what they're doing <laughs> yeah and so whether you go to the gym or you don't there's like guilt shame yeah very negative energy so at the core what we're trying to do at runga is kind of make it clear that the traditional method of aiming to get fit if we have a pyramid that's our fitness mm -hmm. over the last 15 years or so, I think, especially, we've gotten, we, we tend to believe that the key to fitness is working really hard, maybe to the point that you, you feel like you're going to throw up mm -hmm. or that you're so sore the next day. So what we're doing is we're trying to pile fitness on top of the pyramid, mm -hmm. right? Our fitness is here. I got to work harder for every inch. I got to yeah. work harder for every inch. When it comes to mitochondrial optimization or and or fat adaptation and intermittent fasting, which is another component mm -hmm. that Runga um, is, condones. We don't make it mandatory if people don't want intermittent fast, but we make it a safe place for them to get into that or start mm -hmm. with a fatty coffee or something. Um, now, we, we open the doors to a possibility that this method of exercise that in many cases is not making us feel well, feel happy, or get fitter what wouldn't it be nice to bump that up from below? Mm -hmm. And so how we do that on the aerobic level is we do intervals with light breath holds mm -hmm. and we teach people how to create a physiological strain on the body as it relates to CO2 and, and oxygen mm -hmm. without having the heart rate at 200 beats a minute. Right. Right. So we're kind of building this base. Mm -hmm. And when people leave a workout at Runga, it's close to a work in. Mm -hmm. They have more energy than they did before the workout. Yeah, well, that's the definition of a work in. Right. I tell people the best exercise in the world is one you're willing to do regularly. Right. I don't care if it's walking or climbing something or right. whatever it is. It's right. just engaging right. your body and caring for it. And there's so much to learn about oneself through exercise. Right. Emotionally, mentally, um, kinesthetically. It's, you know, so many people today, even people that are avid exercisers are really out of touch with their bodies. Yeah. I mean, I've worked with a lot of the best athletes in the world and I am doing an analysis on them. I'll say, tip your pelvis forward and they don't know how to tip their pelvis forward. They'll tip it backwards, <laughs> yeah. right? And I think, no, forward, pretend your pelvis is a bowl full of milk, pour it out over your belt buckle and they'll try this for minutes and can't do it, which is actually called sensory motor amnesia. Okay. Their brain has lost contact with that movement pattern and people get stuck in these rigid exercise routines, not realizing that the, the uh, variety of movement that they're using is very, very limited. Right. And that's why I developed my primal pattern system. I said, look, there's seven key patterns you have to do to keep a body healthy, squatting, lunging, bending, pushing, pulling, twisting. And as you know, there's a myriad of variations on those seven patterns. Mm -hmm. And then gait, walking, running, and uh, walking, jogging, and sprinting. And so you get people that are only distance runners. 
right. but they can't do anything else. Right. Or they only lift weights, but they really belong in a yoga class. Right. Or they're yogis that tie themselves in knots, but they've got instabilities all over the place and they don't have enough strength. So, you know, getting that movement variety and just giving yourself permission to do whatever feels good and, and having sort of a, a menu of, I mean, all you got to do is look out the window. There's someone riding a bike. There's someone playing tennis or someone at a golf course. It's not that hard. It's just really just give yourself permission to do whatever feels good and exercise in such a way that you walk away from it feeling vitalized, gratified, and nourished by it. Right. But one of the most common comments I used to get when I owned and worked in physical therapy clinics is that people would come in, one of the first things they would say to me is, you're not going to make me exercise, are you? I hate exercise. I say, well, you just don't understand how to use exercise right. then. You know, so it's great that you're teaching people how to engage themselves through movement. So yeah. it's not only mitochondrial optimization, it's, it's really body, mind, spirit optimization. Without a doubt. And, and, it, and it's so interesting because one of the things that I really try to teach, and we also have a very sophisticated, pretty elaborate mobility practice, mm. right? Now, the key to that is, and the primal movements, movement flows 100% in there, we preface it with a hypothesis that beginning with the specific adaptations to impose demands, something I took from my degree, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> something I took from my undergrad in exercise mm -hmm. physiology, but the body tends to adapt to the imposed demands. Mm -hmm. So that means it, it, it adapts to what we impose on it most frequently, yeah. right? And everything else we can kind of throw away, mm -hmm. right? If I never throw a baseball, then my needs for those patterns is, is minimized, yeah. right? So one of the things that we really try to teach is just this, this massive disparity between the demands of life and the demands of our exercise, mm -hmm. right? And even apart from that, if we look at how we're using our body on a daily basis, we're not using our eyes as an example. Right. We're not using our eyes to look around left, right. It's very centered. It's very close vision. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of the motor programs, like the basic sling systems, mm -hmm. when I take a step with my left foot, my right arm moves, right? Yes, yeah. This basic... In many, 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 many people, it is not optimized. No, my God, no. And a lot of that's due to inflammation in glands and organs. It's shutting them down. Right. They don't realize that their exercise injuries and problems are coming from internal dysfunctions, which is coping strategies and or just a lack of awareness. Yeah, 100%. And we talk about how breath, you know, a proper breath should move those internal organs mm -hmm. a couple of centimeters mm. and that Pumps creates them. a lot of vitality. It does. Yeah. It gives them a massage 25,900 times a day on average. And we're all water. We're 70%. 70%. When you die, they say you come in as a plum and you leave as a prune. So the average person when they die is about 55% water based on studies I've looked at and okay. the average child is born at 70 75% water. 75% water. So when water doesn't move, mm -hmm. it gets stagnant. It gets stuck. It does. And just like what you're talking about, we get this massive dysfunction. Now, when the eyes are not being used in a variety of different ways. They get weak. They get weak. Yeah. Eye movement, you know, we talked about the suboccipitals mm -hmm. and how this basically creates movement. One of the, th the trends that I see is that when these things are disconnected, so there's so much, we say free medicine, but there's so much free movement. Mm -hmm. So in other words, if I go for a run or a hike or whatever, and my 
brainstem and my physiology, my eyes being connected to my system and creating these sling systems and moving our, our limbs, when that's optimized, there's a lot of like movement we don't have to work real hard for. Mm-hmm. If my eyes look right, my body knows I'm going that direction. Yeah. But when that's shut down, we actually have to work. Mm-hmm. We have to work for every inch, right? It also creates insecurity at a deep level in the body because mm-hmm. if you're motor, you know, the eyes are the, are the chief directors of the motor system. The whole motor system is actually oriented around breath because that's the key survival mechanism. But the eyes direct the motor system. Right. And that's, you know, anybody that trains athletes knows that. And that's why we use head fakes because right. when people think if our eyes are going that way, we must be going that way, right? right. But if the eyes and the motor system are not integrated it creates the same fear as if you were walking on very slippery ice right and you lock up and so your whole body becomes rigid your breathing becomes tight and that a lot of that kind of stuff is sedentary living or too narrow of environmental exposure you get up you go to work you right. look at your iphone in the morning you go to work you stare at a computer all day you come home you stare at a television and that's right. the extent of your visual um, activity and stimuli, which right. means that your body's following the same plan. Right. And you get convinced that your body's working against you and that you need the jackhammer for half an hour before your workout to yeah. loosen up your muscles. Yeah. When that tension is that, like you said, it's like you're walking on ice. And you're, a lot of these people are spending truckloads of money on chiropractors, acupuncturists, massage therapists to to palliatively care for right. the symptoms of what these kinds of things we're talking about, which are, as you know, well addressed in my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, because they're, you know, that was my manuals mm-hmm. to, I realized after <laughs> many years, I'm like, I have to tell the same things to people all the time because they're at the base of almost every injury and health problem. Yep. Why not just give it to the public for 25 bucks and you know, we're at the point now where we we're really teaching people things through your program, my program, and programs like this. What are actually instinctual to people living in a natural environment? Right. Exactly. I mean, it would be like if you were to go teach a Aboriginal how to use his eyes, he'd laugh at you. Like, dude, I can get a bird out of the sky with a <laughs> slingshot <laughs> at eighty meters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Know? I'm looking right through you right now. Yeah, what do you mean? I can see your ancestors. <laughs> it's yeah. great. I mean, I, I love it. So we, you know, we've talked about cold. We've talked about heat. And one of the things people don't realize about cold and heat therapy is that the arteriovascular tree is a muscular system. And when you're living in all these temperature-controlled buildings all the time and you take hot showers all the time, your arteriovascular system gets very weak. So you get see people getting edema pooling in their legs at early ages when you're right on airplanes. That's a real bummer because mm-hmm. it cuts the circulation off down in your lower legs. Right. You see people having to wear compression socks. You see bruising easily, varicose veins. And a lot of stuff that's really the product of a weak vascular tree but when you take a cold shower or an ice bath, that whole vascular system opens wide. The arterial system rushes that blood to the surface. And when you get cold long enough, it's, then you trigger a hunter's reflex and the system contracts. So if you go hot, cold, you're actually doing an expansion, contraction, expansion, contraction. So it's kind of like an arteriovascular gym. 
And since your every cell in your body is fed by that system, it's a good <laughs> yeah. idea to keep yeah. it healthy. Yeah. And I'm sure you've seen this. A lot of people, I say, you need to take cold showers. Oh, I hate cold showers. Oh, what are you out of your mind? Oh, no. And, and, and what cracks me up is like I've had people write to me going, well, I searched Google and found doctors all over the place saying you should never use cold water. And I say, yeah, now go search hot water and you'll find the same damn thing. So why don't you grow up and be an adult and pay attention to what your body's telling and remember that you hired me to teach you how to get healthy. So instead of researching the internet to avoid getting into a cold shower, you know, get real. <laughs> get wet. Yeah. You're soaking wet on the inside for right. Christ's sakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and the cold is so interesting because I think people really come to realize how much um, – silly fear they have about it. Oh, totally. And yes. how much judgment or how much yeah. just just how much how discomfort how uncomfortable they are with getting a little uncomfortable, but people get addicted to it. Yeah. People really feel the difference quickly. Yeah. Which is um one of my favorite things about cold because it's it's empowering to do it for the first time and you immediately feel amazing. Yeah. But it's this our modern world, you know, when we look at, you know, it doesn't matter if we look at uh wine. I was, you know, talking to somebody the other day about dry farm wine. It's like you deprive wine of a little bit of water and you dry farm it and guess what? It becomes more nutritious. Right on. So this this idea that if we want to live a long time and we want our body to be optimized and to create the systems and the 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 proteins that it needs to be optimized, we can't just be cool all the time. We can't just be in the temperature controlled room all the time. We can't be never having any a need to fight our way back to homeostasis. Yeah. So getting hot, getting cold, getting the heart rate up, getting the yeah. heart rate down. Yeah. This is all incredible for the body. I got as you know. I gotta tell you a funny <laughs> story about how I got onto cold showers. Now, as a therapist, all the way back in sports massage therapy school, we studied cryotherapy because it's so essential to wound healing. <laughs> and so I did a quite a lot of a study in cryotherapy and the science and the use of it. And this is, you know, I'm talking 1986, and I read a book by the author Knight, I think, on cryotherapy, which even if it was read today would be a very good book because it's based on, you know, studies of people, you know, falling in cold water right. and, and circulatory, so all the things you need to know to, yeah. to know about healing. And so the, the funny part is, is I'd been using cryotherapy and ice baths and working with, you know, hamstring tears and had ice baths in the, in the clinic. We had an ice tub and Athletes didn't like it, but it would work. It helped very lot. But I, I always had this impression that I didn't need it because I was healthy and fit. Right. And so probably about 16 or 17 years ago, I was on a long uh, seminar tour through Australia, and I stayed at a buddy's house, and he had this beautiful, beautiful practically a mansion him and his girlfriend right in the sydney harbor with gorgeous views yeah, amazing and i i just happened to get there when their when their water heater died and the like i got there the day after the water heater died i arrived on a weekend and i can't remember what happened but the plumber didn't show up for like five days <laughs> and so it was winter and sydney can get pretty cool in the winter right. and most people don't realize that but you know you it's kind of like you know San Diego, it can get cold enough that you know it's definitely not summer. And so I got up in the morning and there was no choice but a cold shower. I don't, I don't give a shit. You know, I, like I'm not, yeah. I'm an ex paratrooper. A little cold water ain't going to kill me. 
And so I just jumped in there and the water was damn cold. I mean, it made my scalp go numb in about one minute. <laughs> yeah. And I did my normal thing. I said, oh, you know, I could tough it out. No big deal. But I, and that was back when I had a really bad coffee addiction from all the jet travel time zone sure. changes. And I was like pretty tired at a core level from constantly moving on airplanes. And, you know, we've talked about how devastating that can be after a few years. And so I got out of that shower and I felt so damn alive and so awake. And I felt like I'd had a double shot of espresso. And I just, the first thought through my mind is I've got to do that tomorrow. And you know what? I can tell you the truth. I've never taken a hot shower since. You're kidding. I have never taken a hot shower <laughs> since that day. The only time I've used hot water is Epsom salt baths in my nice big tub here at the Heaven House for the therapeutic effect. But I have never taken a hot shower. 100% cold? Or? I, as cold as that son it's of a bitch will go. I do it in Sweden. I do it in New York. Penny can tell you, I come to bed ice cold, don't I, baby? Yeah. I bet you sleep well. I do. And it, a rock. it enhances your sex drive very well, too. Mm-hmm. You know, when you need some, some oomph, you stay Does in that it, yeah. cold shower for a good 10 minutes and, you know, your partner may not like it while the warm-up's going on, but the thing to do is jump in together. Right. And that doesn't go well at the house. <laughs> some some people in the house don't like ice cold showers. Yeah. But, um, the, the the point I'm making is it's that same system. I came across this by the shall we say the divine circumstance of the situation, and I kind of was kicking myself like, why am I so dumb? I know all about cryotherapy. I use it with my patients, but I wasn't using it on myself because I had too much ego and thought I didn't need it. But I tell you what, man, I think cold water therapies are the, they're like sleep. They're freaking free. Free medicine. And powerful. And they increase androgens. They aid recovery. They stimulate the parasympathetic and the sympathetic system. It's fucking magic. It's really magic. And it teaches you how to deal with a little bit of stress. A little bit of discomfort. A little bit of discomfort. Life's full of this shit, man. Right. If you don't, you don't want to medicate it. Right. It's, you know, it's, it's this sort of, this tool that we can use as a, a nervous, a nervous system calibration for the day. So, you know, if you've been comfortable again all morning and then you go to your boss and your job that maybe isn't so comfortable, yeah. it's like, you need that little like confidence boost. I was laughing to myself when you told that story. Cause I had a, a funny experience coming home from Iceland, um, just recently mm-hmm. and the water was pretty cold there. Oh yeah. As you can imagine, <clears throat> told you about the ice baths. But when I got back, we stopped at my mom's house in Boston and her hot water heater was broken. Cool. Right. So I was cold in Iceland, taking ice baths at the gym because it's a thing to do. I get home. I actually kind of wanted a hot shower, right? I don't blame you, but I get it. (laughs) And my mom doesn't have hot water. So I was like, this is so weird. We had all this flight craziness. So it took us forever to get home. I walk into my house. I've now not had a hot shower in like four days. Mm Mm-hmm. There's no hot water in my house. I was like, what is the universe doing to me? It's just slowing your aging process. Yeah, yeah. it was just so, I was like, this is so divine because I take a lot of cold showers. Yeah. And now, now for this entire week I've won. And so it's funny when, you know, there's some divine intervention. It just says, hey, stay the course, no matter what's going on in your life. Just, just keep on the cold, man. And sometimes discomfort that's therapeutic is truly therapeutic. Right. You know, we've come to the point where we want instant gratification for every itch, scratch, and bump. 
And one of the things I teach my students and my clients and patients is your discomfort is your body talking to you, giving you feedback about the choices you've made. And so if you've got a rash, it means something. If your back aches, it means something. If you're tired and you shouldn't be tired, it means something. If your dick doesn't work, it means something. If your pussy's dried up, it means something. If your nose is running all the time, it means something. And that's what it means to have a relationship with yourself is start paying attention. Okay, what did I eat right. yesterday? Oh, I had a box of Oreo cookies and my nose is running like a tap all the time. That's an immune reaction. Right. You know, so it's just all I'm saying is if people just pay attention to the fact that there is so damn much wisdom. We, with all the science we have, we still know less about the cell than we do know about a single cell. Right. I mean, the depth of the wisdom inside the human body is is wild. Right. And everybody keeps running to people that are going to give them pills and tell them not to do. I say, don't go to your doctor and ask what you should take. Ask your doctor what you should take away and you'll do a lot better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. Of course, that's the wrong place to go to ask that question. Right. But, well, the same doctor that said stay out of the cold yeah. you know, also said that that stuffy nose has nothing to do with your diet. Yeah. Here's your anti-inflammatories yeah. and here's your antibiotic. Right. And, right. Oh, by the way, uh, we won't tell you that you're going to be energetically dead after this. <laughs> Yeah, and no. use your microwave. It's faster. <laughs> yeah, totally agree. And I think I think that's a really great lesson for people. Is just we don't the body and brain and mind and spirit are smarter than we can even comprehend. Totally, man. It's the whole fucking universe working through us. Right. It's intense. You can't even be here without the whole universe. You can't. You, you can't. are the entire universe in a nexus point of consciousness. Right. And. When you spend time with your eyes closed and monitoring your breathing and feeling your breathing and engaging, not, you know, the, the neat thing about cold water therapies is you find out right away, as you've alluded to, but not said in these words, your mind will tell you not to do it, right. but your body will tell you, thank you. Right. And you learn from simple things like that. I've got to stop listening to my head so much. Because it's got a lot of fears that turn out not to be true. Like I told you people saying in physical therapy clinics, I don't want to exercise. I hate exercise. They have a fear, but I showed them every time. It wasn't true. Right. And so when your health's in trouble and your relationships are in trouble, start paying attention to what your heart says. Pay attention to what your gut says. Pay attention to what your posture says. Pay attention to what your sense of inspiration and motivation says if you did what you wanted to do at a pace and an intensity that feels joyous to you instead of giving yourself this idea it's going to hurt and not even doing it. Right. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting time in the development of human beings. It, it really is. And I think that, uh, you know, that sort of, when you, when you teach people, how to unlock the system or yeah. move a little bit better or get fitter, feel that energy boost. And it's not the beat down. Yeah. And it's not that horrible experience that leaves you sore. It's in no way related to what you ate last night. Right. All of a sudden it's a completely different relationship. Yeah. And so I think one of the things that people walk away, especially after our long weekends, it's a different perspective. 
Yeah, it's totally. a different perspective on what this activity is. Yeah, what it's doing, who it's for. It's realization married to vitalization. Yes, right. Yes, yes, right on. So, Joe, what a what a beautiful program, and and I'm really digging our conversation. Thank you, it's man. It's so I, I love your journey too, and I love how you've synthesized it, and I love seeing how you've taken HLC one, embodied it, and grown it, and really brought it into something very, very unique and powerful and beautiful and simple, but complex enough that it isn't so simple that you don't um, you're not inspired to go deeper. Right. You know, if it, if it's too simple, like tying your shoe, who wants to, you know, study tying your shoe once you know how to do it? Right. But some of the things like breathing, they're, they're simple. We're all breathing, but there's a lot of depth to some of these simple things. I mean, you, you know, something as simple as cold water therapy and the applications, there's volumes written on stuff like that. Right. You know, in physiology texts. But, right. um, you know, our next stop on the anatomy of Runga is- I don't even remember what organ it was. Well, this one would be the stomach. <laughs> the stomach. And we're at the food. It would be the stomach. Oh, it would be the entron, mouth to anus. Mouth. Let's go mouth to anus. Okay. What happens mouth to anus at Runga? <laughs> <laughs> Do they have poopy policemen? <laughs> the cops aren't out. Um, so, so, you know, the Runga experience is, you know, dinners are really extremely elaborate family style dinners with everybody joining and very amazing discussions. The food is, you know, of the highest quality that you could possibly get your hands on prepared yeah. by chefs that are incredible and very aware of what we're doing. And that's a challenge, just finding yeah. chefs that are able to cook to our standards. And we do all sorts of, you know, basically any diet, dietary restrictions, et cetera, they're all taken care of. But food as it relates to rug, when you wake up in the morning, We've got this awesome. We're big on we're big on coffee. We're big on tea. Mm-hmm. We've got this pretty elaborate like supplement optimization bar, mm-hmm. right? So you can make your coffee. You can put whatever you want in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can take all the supplements in the world, whatever you get your hands on. And we've also we've got all sorts of optimization too. I mean, we're doing drip IV drips NAD. So we we cheat too. So we teach you all these things, mm-hmm. and then the food is incredible. Um, but we also kind of have all these other devices at your disposal. So in the morning while you're having your coffee, maybe you're getting pulse electromagnetic field therapy. therapy yeah. Maybe you're getting red light therapy. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're getting a, uh, you know, a Myers cocktail drip, whatever mm-hmm. it might be. So you're really like optimizing your cells and your nutrition, uh, right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Um, the meals are, are great. And, uh, dinners, like I said, is just, that's really where the magic happens. Yeah, that's at great. At dinner table. So the 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 what's the experience from the food that you um, are hoping that the guest takes home? I think that we're trying to really get them to understand the role that food plays in our lives, and when we when we feed them the highest quality food that we can get our hands on, mm-hmm. and we remind them that. This is because they deserve it. Yeah. This is because our bodies deserve to be given what they need to thrive and what they need to be optimized. And I think a lot of people, when they're making decisions as to where they maybe where they grocery shop, but also how they invest their money. Yeah. And when and, and when you invest money in organically farmed food, you're investing in the restoration of the planet, of the soil. Right. 
And a lot of people don't realize every dollar you spend on commercially farmed food is a dollar you spent to destroy this planet. Right. No, exactly. And and the vegans and the uh, vegetarians don't realize if they're eating commercially raised food, they're just poisoning the hell out of themselves and contributing to the destruction of the very animals they're often trying to protect. I know it. I know it. The And that whole dogma, that whole... Ism. Ism is, is just, I mean, maybe there's enough podcasts on it. I won't, I won't offer my two cents, but I think that we're getting more and more distant from a diet that is nutritious. And whether or not we, de- we decide to fill our plate with plants or animals or both, ultimately, is this the food that, you're, that you feel is going to optimally nourish your soul and your body? Yes. And that's what we want to connect you with at Runga. Isms are, are ideas. They're mental constructs, they're belief systems. So when you're eating in an ism, you're actually feeding a thought form and often at the expense of your own health. And there's so, as you know, there's so much research, so-called research out there supporting this stuff. But, you know, if you don't have the knowledge to understand the study design and look at the factors that are involved in producing the outcome of the research, then you're just believing an outcome with not out knowing how you get it, which is like someone saying, uh, all you got to do is invest a certain amount of money in this stock and you'll get rich. But you know, two months later, the whole company collapses and you're broke right. because you didn't do your due diligence to do the research to say, is this really true? Right. And who's tried it and what's the results? And so one of the things that I like, you mentioned coffee and tea. Now, a lot of people are going, oh, that's not very healthy. And I've had a lot of people <laughs> criticize me because I drink espresso and vaporized tobacco and herbs. And I tell them, and, and I'm leading to a point, and the point is, is that when your approach to health becomes so critically and dogmatically defined that you aren't enjoying being healthy, it's fanaticism. Right. And there's another ism, fanaticism. So what I love is that you're teaching people all the essential components of health, but you're leaving enough freedom for a person to, you know, when you're healthy, you can play, right? I can, I, like we talked about this morning, I can enjoy one shot of espresso a day. That's my threshold, right? If, you know, that's, the needle hits yellow on the tachometer there. If I cross the yellow, I go into the red and the red is when things start falling apart and I know myself, if I need more coffee than one shot, it means I either need more cold water, I need to spend some time doing Tai Chi or breathing, or I'm working too hard, or I'm not sleeping enough, or I'm eating things that are bogging my system down or whatever it may be. But instead of just making excuses and drinking more coffee and getting yourself into an addiction, when you have those feelings in place and that instinctual awareness in place, then you actually have the internal capacity to say, okay, I'm having the urge to drink more coffee than I know I should, so now I need to look at what it is that I'm um, overlooking or not giving myself that's ultimately going to create the freedom to keep drinking the coffee without getting addicted to it. Right, 100%. And I think that, um, I guess, starting with the isms thing, and I think there's so many of the isms now, and I think there is this massive deficit of, positive community and these constructs are providing communities yes they are and 
they're extended families for people that have broken families. Exactly. And then, so that is a massive issue. And as it relates to our guests, people are jumping between these camps. They don't know. It's so darn confusing that when you come to an event or spend a week with us or a day with us and you know, you're going through your blood work and you're realizing what the body's telling you, maybe you're sitting with Ben or whoever, Dr. Mike, you have a, it's this permission to not be a part of those communities and be a part of this community mm-hmm. or any community that is healthy yeah. and fruitful. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing that as it relates to coffee, big coffee drinker today was a funny Funny situation. Oh, yeah. Tell, tell, <laughs> tell the story. <laughs> so I, I'm a big coffee guy as well. But the funny thing is, is I generally wake up in the morning. I have at least an hour of different types of work that I do on myself way before coffee, right? Because activation. Activation. Where mm-hmm. I get the motor running. And this morning, you know, I drove down here. It's a couple-hour drive. And so I pulled the shot of espresso, but I put in the cup holder. Like, we'll see when I, when I, when I choose to drink it. And about halfway here... Uh, I get a you know a note from Paul that he's making espresso when I get here. Yeah. So I leave the cup in the cup holder and I drive the whole way and avoid the coffee. I walk in the door and as Paul said earlier in the show is you know the pot the uh, power the power out. is out and there was no coffee and so I said sorry buddy I wanted to make you an espresso <laughs> but we had a power outage and I'm like shit and you go well guess what I made a shot for myself and it's sitting in my console I said well you should go get it if you want it because yeah. I already had one oh, before yeah. the power went out and I didn't even know the power was going out I was just all of a sudden I'm working away and boom everything just goes off I'm like yeah. what the hell this is a bad day for the power to go out but a big part of this and a big part of I think what people whether they drink coffee or not at Runga it's this idea one of the one of the big teachings that we teach and that I teach is just protecting this first hour hour and a half the sacred two man. hours of yeah. the day mm-hmm. and when you can backload some rituals into that time and and as you said like do no harm yeah. like don't look at the CNN right now or whatever yeah. or don't look at the TV don't start with the bad news don't start with the bad news it's mostly manufactured <laughs> <laughs> don't start with anything like that just start with you and I think that, you know, what people come to realize is the ritual of coffee, ultimately, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and how it can be a very mindful practice. I yeah. know you're like me, and, you know, mm-hmm. you've got the the Paul Check special roast beans, yeah. and, you know, I'm sure you grind them fresh, and maybe you oh, weigh absolutely, them out. absolutely, man. And so there's this whole thing that I really love, mm-hmm. and that I really think grounds my day, and whether it's making coffee or walking the dog, I think these, or both... These rituals, I think, are something that people do take from our experience that help them kind of anchor sure. some why and purpose behind yeah. whatever activity it might be. It's also, you know, we're in such a busy world interacting with, you know, so much communication and therefore other people that we spend so much time out of ourselves, right? right. Out projecting ourselves out into relationships, emails, texts. Tweeters, twatters, twitters, what the fuck ever you have. Grammars. Yeah, some damn thing. But for me, it's it's really um that that morning ritual is when I get to be with me. And I devote about an hour every morning to my prayers and to giving thanks and, and just connecting to the universe and just worshiping the magic and the mystery and the awe of life. And I find if I don't give that to myself, I find it hard to be with people. I find it hard to interact because I feel as though I haven't had enough time 
to be with the best friend I'll ever have and, and the one you're born with and the one you die with, which is yourself and your soul. Right. And so for me, something like drinking an espresso, it's not because I need the espresso. I can do without it, no problem. That's why I have my threshold limit. My threshold limit is if I go any further than this, I get addicted. And I don't want to be addicted because that's a loss of freedom. Now my life's oriented around coffee, not living. <laughs> but when I can drink my espresso or vaporize my smoke, and it's a celebration of something that's a gift to me, and I'm having a relationship with myself and time with myself, and I get to listen to my thoughts and look out the window at nature and see the beauty and smell the beauty, then when I can engage the world, I can be 100% of my 50% of every relationship. And that's so important because, you know, as I teach my students, if you're only 10%, like if I'm having this conversation with you and there's 10% of me that's somewhere else, like wishing I had a coffee and going, oh God, I can't hurry up so I can get my coffee, then I'm 10% here. There's 10% that I'm not accessing and there's 10% of me that you can't access, access, which creates a 20% deficit in the relationship. Right. Well, ask yourself this question if you don't think a 20% deficit is very much. If your accountant is 20% wrong in your tax return, how much will it cost you? Right. If your paycheck's 20% too small, how much will that affect you? Right. If you're uh, making love with someone and they're 20% not there, are you making love? <laughs> or are you just masturbating with someone's body? Right. Right. So the point I'm making is that the ceremony and the ritual is very, very important. And if we're honest with the things that we're talking about, then the things like the coffee, the tea, or the smoke, or the what have you, they don't become the um, means by which we live. They become means by which we enjoy living. Right. And that that's important. Right, 100%. And I think, you know, thinking back to what you said about the 20%, you know, that 80-20 principle that a lot of people are, are – living by or you know a lot of people use it as it relates to nutrition mm -hmm. i eat well 80 percent of the time but the pareto principle the original principle was no 20 percent is enough to impact the whole it is 80 percent of the profit came from 20 percent of the almond field or whatever it yeah. was back in italy yeah with the pareto principle right so 20 percent is absolutely enough and needless to say uh, Runga is very digital detox. No one's yeah. on their phones, et cetera. But what's really interesting too is like that hour, that ritual, that protecting the first time during your day so you can connect with yourself. We talked about thinking, feeling, and how thinking shuts down feeling and feeling shuts down thinking. Yeah. All we do is think. That's right. And when we think about even some of the lessons that we're teaching at Runga, sure, maybe some of them you might be able to Google, but, but it's about feeling them, right? Yeah. It's about you could learn how to you know, breathe and do a, a box breathing breath, et cetera, on Google. But it's about, it's not about information. There's too much information. It's about feeling into some of this and, and again, making it kind of our own. And sometimes, you know, most of the time people get so much information that it actually paralyzes them. Right. Information isn't useful unless you can apply it. And if you don't apply information, you don't gain experience. And if you don't gain experience and make mistakes, then you never produce wisdom. So what you end up being is a smart, dumb person, right. which is the kind of people that end up being fit, sick people if they're right. not careful, right? right. You, you find yourself, you know, lots of my patients sit here and give me all sorts of reasons why what, what I'm telling them isn't right. right. 
And I just, many times I've just taken off my shirt and sometimes my pants and said, look, I'm almost 60 years old. This is the results of my program. You get undressed for me and let's see what the results of your program, since you seem to know more than your therapist. Right. And some people are just so in love with ideas, they don't realize that ideas don't have any power. Knowledge is not power. Applied knowledge is power. And if you don't actually go through the experience, and some things are easy to watch a video on YouTube, but who's there to tell you when your bottom ribs aren't moving and you're inhaling, or how to mobilize your spine, or the things that you don't realize are an impediment to your breathing that you can't see? It's just like someone who thinks they can go to the gym and lift weights without any coaching. Right. Well, they can't see themselves. They can't see behind themselves. You know, they're inside their own box. As Einstein said, you can't solve a problem with the same thinking that created it. Yeah. So you, you got to get outside of the box. My point is, is that, you know, going to HLC one or finding people that really do wear their knowledge and letting them guide you, you often find that a lot of the information you had, either you didn't know how to apply or it was just not correct because it was taught by people that just copied somebody else and right. don't realize they're just broadcasting their own misunderstandings. And that is rampant in this um information age and internet age it's yeah it very rampant and um yeah you 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 know your next component on our anatomy train oh. <laughs> is the mindfulness and the, the meditation uh, so talk about how you uh, apply these principles in your runga approach and in your own living philosophy yeah yeah well i think that you know again just to touch on the ritual of the morning one more time I am. I, I have said on numerous podcasts just the importance of a ten-minute quiet sit in the morning, and a morning meditation, silent meditation, is just something that is just so powerful and profound that just creates an energy that that you will not create in any other way. Yeah. And at Runga, you know, we start each day with with meditation. Yeah. We do a lot of apasana medit- uh, mindfulness. My wife is a. Um, a mindfulness instructor and, mm-hmm. and she leads a lot of circles and healing circles and right. and daily meditations and also some Kriya yoga mm-hmm. uh, that really just gets people kind of into their body, mm-hmm. right? Frees up a lot of energy. Yeah. Uh, lets them feel into their emotions and kind of step back from it a little bit. Yeah. And that again, it just fuels all the other things that we've been talking about. It anchors so many of these principles where people are in their bodies, they're in their feeling bodies, they're disconnected from all the things outside of themselves that they're obsessing over on a daily basis. Maybe they have a new perspective on it. Yeah. And then they're entering this environment with people that they trust, people they feel safe with, and it all just tends to sink in very, very nicely. You know, many people in their mind are so busy trying to get somewhere, always in a hurry. Oh, yeah. But what they don't realize is that the speed of silence is now right it's everywhere and nowhere at the speed of now so when you actually learn to just relax your mind and let it go and let it empty itself the answers to the questions you may have had for years show up like lightning bolts effortlessly and you may have spent years trying to find or figure the answer to that out intellectually working your mind forever chasing why do i have this problem why doesn't he love me blah 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 but when you go into that 
sacred place of silence, you realize that it is the epicenter of the action of everything, and all the answers are there. Yeah. The wisdom begins there. We need to make space for it. You and do, and that's the that, that that's what no mind really means. The Western culture thinks no mind is a stupid idea. They think, <laughs> right. oh, you must be a zombie. Yeah. I'm like, you don't <laughs> get it. <laughs> Speaking of not knowing enough about this universe and this body and this mind to even be able to judge anything that might happen in it. It's like when I was talking to you about the, the when I teach rock stacking classes, I give you 28 seconds in that circle with stones, and I know exactly how your mind works. And I know how carefully I have to watch so you don't kill yourself. But someone who's mindful is safe out there because they're paying attention to what they're doing. They're not in a rush. They're in a relationship with the earth, the stones and the environment, and they have open receptivity. But somebody who's got this idea in their head that they're in a hurry to get to so they can just show everybody how strong or cool they are uh, is very likely to get hurt. And I have had my share of visits from the stone Buddhists <laughs> with painful messages and every single time, it's when I got either I was in a hurry because I had an appointment and I was trying to finish something, like mm -hmm. I got to get this rock stack built, I've got 20 minutes, or I was trying to force something. In other words, my ego was trying to run the show. Mm -hmm. And the stone Buddhas are merciless. They will, they will, they'll teach you how to meditate even if it kills you. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and it's, it's such an amazing practice because I've dabbled a little bit in it, yeah. but never rocks of that size <laughs> when, the bigger <laughs> they are the more present you got to be because the consequences of not being mindful are ambulances right <laughs> right and i think there's so few things it's and, and it's so funny because at the beginning when i first took that trip to costa rica six or so years ago now i used to think that i myself wasn't the person that was quote good at meditating yeah and so whitewater rafting became my dynamic meditation. That's, yeah. you know, I just need to get into the moment. And, mm -hmm. you know, I thought that jumping out of planes and whitewater rafting was, was kind of the answer, but it's so interesting where those can be great. You know, mm -hmm. if your mind is really crazy, jump out of an airplane, it'll, it'll, it'll stop, it'll center it. But this, this <laughs> rock stacking was an amazing experience today. Yeah. Because these rocks are probably heavier than the weights I lift in the gym. Oh hell yeah! Half the time and harder to lift and awkward and and you know sharp and insects and, and sharp stones that you can step on if you're not careful. Pieces of bark, biting insects, rattlesnakes like to hang out out there. Right. So you you have to have reverence. There's such a grace. It is a grace. It's a grace. It's reverence it's worship it's creativity if that's it's, it's meditation it's athletic to the nth degree yeah. and it's you know and what does it take but a bunch of rocks right and and the beauty of it is it's it's something you can do without an attachment to the outcome i call it unbound play right. we're so outcome oriented in our culture why are you doing that? I got to get this done. That, there's always a reason why you've got to do this. But we don't realize that we're very trapped in the rational mind, but the complementary opposite to the rational mind is the unrational. Dancing is not rational. Nobody looks at your dancing and says, you know, your mathematical ratios of hip to arm movements are off there. Right. No, it's not a golf swing, right? It, dancing is unrational. And would we feel free if we dance without 
critical judgment of ourselves. We're free. I love to paint because I can light it on fire. I can give it away. I'm not attached to the outcome. It's an act of expressing the child, the little boy in me, rock stacking, going for a walk and listening to the birds. There's no rational outcome except just being there. And the more we give ourselves permission to engage the unrational, to balance the rational, the easier it is for us to find our center. Because if you just think of it as a teeter-totter, on one end is rational, on the other end is the unrational. Mm -hmm. And if the rational is all you got, then that teeter-totter is not moving, and life is movement. And when you balance the rational and the unrational, the teeter-totter holds still, but it's balanced. It's level. And when we operate from that place as our place of departure each day and our way of closing the day, then we grow. We have an open-minded approach because we learn in those activities that we get these amazing insights and intuitions that come out of nowhere that our ego would never have thought of by itself. But we come to realize that the more busy our mind is, the more we shut out the messages of the universe that only come when we're open. And really, to be a healthy person at every level means to be open-minded, open-minded to when your diet needs to change. I I could just interviewed Paul Saladino, and one of my questions is, how dogmatic are you about this (laughs) nose tail? And he, he said something beautiful. He said, you know, it's working for me right now. But if it stops working, I'll try something different. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's what it means to be open-minded. And that's what I really try to get across to the vegans and the vegetarians because they're in a closed belief system. And oftentimes by the time they come to see me for help, they have serious health problems. I've seen many of them with cancer. And the paradox is they often use that approach to heal cancer, but they don't realize that what starts off as medicine can become the source of a disease. Right. And that's no different than being someone who's fixated on running or has to watch a certain TV show at night or right. has to have their coffee or the world just comes to an end. And so it's beautiful that you have incorporated all these things. And how long is the, the Runga experience that you're talking so about? So the immersion is three nights, four three. days. Oh, that's not bad. No, yeah, it's in Napa. Um, it's been in Napa the last couple of years. Yeah. And we do local events as well in Venice that are essentially a one day, a one one day of that Napa experience in Venice. So if folks want to come to a single day, Saturday, spend a day, just you know, people have said it's like a, you know, it feels like a week-long retreat in a single day. It's an amazing day. And now we're also doing a lot of private kind of corporate events. If corporations have, you know, private or summits for their company yeah. and they want to inject some really high quality wellness programming. We do that and mm. coaching, consulting. So so before we sort of wrap it all up and you share what's available on your website and any information you want to share, and, and we're going to offer a discount on, on a variety of things uh, at the end of the podcast when Penny comes on to share the discount. So there will be some offers for you on Joe's products and the Runga experience. I have a question for you. What's up? If you knew you were going to die tomorrow and I was going to give you an opportunity to share one message with the world, what would it be? Oh my gosh. Um, You can call me Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Paul. Uh, I would say... Man, 
it's funny. I like that that question like hit me pretty hard. Um, well, I don't want this to all be so easy yeah. that you don't have to get present with yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I was thinking too when you were when you were talking a minute ago. I was just thinking like how early on in life we learn to um, push down that irrational right like i was thinking about like kids say the darndest things yeah and <laughs> yes they do uh, my <laughs> because they're present uh, you know what i gotta tell you one <sighs> sorry i have to do this Kirk, i'm go gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna share with you because you've got a, a a baby on the way the other day i asked mana who's uh three and a half let's see his he's february the 22nd so he's close to being four the other day my beautiful little boy, he just looked at me and he said, I love you, daddy. And I said, will you love me tomorrow? And he looked and he thought for a second. He goes, I don't know. Ask me tomorrow. <laughs> and I said, now that yeah. is a very wise answer yeah. from a less than four-year-old kid. Uh, amazing. And that's true wisdom. And that's a this kid doesn't have enough mind to start thinking about it. He just right. gave me a good, <laughs> honest answer right out of the present moment. Yeah. I don't know, Dad. Ask me tomorrow. Oh, <laughs> uh, that might be my answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you tomorrow. Yeah, I'll tell you my, tomorrow. My, my message to the world uh, will be tomorrow. Uh, I'll, I'll send it a message from heaven. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think I would say, you know, to enjoy, like you just said, the dance, right? Yeah. To Layla to, in Hindu to, terminology. Layla is the dancer. Yeah. God is the dancer. God is the dancer. And the artist. Just to, you know, I like to say like it's healthy till it's stressful. Yeah. And I think that sometimes we take things and ourselves far too seriously. Yeah. And I think if I had to leave the world with a message, it would be that. It would just be remember that this is a dance. It's a, it's the long game. It it's is not long game, it's yeah. not you know, we need to take every minute as it comes and do the best we can with it. Yeah. But the more energy we dissipate into, um, into self-absorption or 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 getting fixated on things being a certain way all the time. Yeah. Then the more distant we get from from actually being human, and and actually and the closer we get to having obsessive compulsive disorder, <laughs> <laughs> the closer we get to not enjoying this life. Yeah, and I think that whether it's anything that I've done, it's about getting people to enjoy this life because you know I've I've got some experience with close calls with it being taken away, mm -hmm. and um, it can happen fast. So mm -hmm. the biggest regret imagine would be. The, the biggest regret imaginable would be to have not done what you can with the time you have. Or not lived. Yeah. You know, I tell people life is a game of love. Right. And if you're not loving, then you're not living. And so be aware of when whatever you're doing loses its love. Because right. when you lose love, you lose connection. Right. And when you lose connection, you're lost. Right. And that's a painful place to be. And as the research shows... All the friends on friends on Facebook won't fix it for you. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but no. a a real healing event like Runga isn't a right. Facebook event. It's right. real connection and it's real love. And as that's why I asked you, do men cry there? Yeah. Because if you feel surrounded by love, men will cry. Mm -hmm. I I remember, um, you know, I'm an ex paratrooper, kickboxer, boxer. You know. Uh, I, I earned my badass wings so I could fit in with the silverback gorillas. 
<laughs> but when Angie became pregnant with Mana, probably about by her fourth or fifth month, my heart chakra started opening and I would just be watching shows and stuff that would never make me cry. All of a sudden I had tears pouring down my eyes and Penny and Angie were just giggling at me because, you know, they they could see the feminine coming alive in me. But, you know, and I didn't want kids. That's the other thing. You know, the old saying, if you want to make God laugh, tell him you got a plan. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or tell her you have a plan would be more accurate. But, But, you know, just the realization that the universe was trusting me to guide uh, another soul, another breath of God into its own fulfillment. And the the deep ceremony and the worship and the realization of that, it was as though he was reaching out and touching me right from the womb. And it was opening things inside of me that were scary for me. It's because like, oh my God, what would my friends think right now? They would think I was just a pussy. (laughs) But the reality of it is, is that I felt so much more whole and so much more alive when those tears started to flow. Yeah. Because I realized I was really in touch with the spirit of life itself. And it was something working for money doesn't bring it's it's something that you can't even put words to (laughs) and uh, i remember when my son paul jr was born i was only 18 but as i watched him come out of the birth canal i had a complete my first samadhi i i had the experience of being totally one with the whole universe and it literally blew my heart and mind wide open like someone just overloaded a circuit breaker and the whole thing just blew up Right. But in that blow-up was the deepest, most profound sense of connection I'd experienced in my life to that point. Fortunately, through Tai Chi meditation and the use of plant medicines, I've had hundreds of those experiences. But just if you, you know, look how many men don't show up to their children's birth because they're too busy. <laughs> and when you realize what a woman goes through to give birth, to not have her man there, Right that shows that there's confusion about what love really is and what life really is. And so... Confusion for the baby as well. Of course, yeah. You're entering into your, you know, into a shamanic journey without a shaman there to guide you. You know, and mom's already deep into her experience and she's working hard to deal with it. You know, the pain of childbirth is enough that scientists say it would kill the average man. Men's nervous system can't take the pain of childbirth. It would collapse them. Wow. Women are much tougher creatures than yeah. men. And believe me, I've got two wives. I know they're, they're much tougher than me. I watched Angie go through some intense, intense labor, man. It yeah. was like whew, I had to use all my breathing techniques to stay present with her because yeah. I was feeling so much of her pain. But, you know, life carries lots of pain. But if we learn how to make meaning out of it and we give ourselves permission to find the sacred within ourselves and make friends with our own soul, then we hear the voice of God inside of us and we know that even death is not something that will destroy us, we'll be okay. Because what breathes us is beyond breath itself. It is the source of breath. It is the emptiness and the fullness of the entire universe, of the entire of existence. And when we 
take time to do these simple rituals, we really realize our oneness with all that is, and that includes each other. And then skin color doesn't matter anymore. Religion and religious differences and political differences, they just become things that make the game interesting, but they're not the reason that we're in the game or the dance. We're here really to live and love and add beauty to the world. And I think uh, experiences like Runga are very, very important because there's a lot of people out there, especially executives and people that are so serious about everything that have forgotten that there's something more important than being serious about making money. And it's called love <laughs> and connection right yeah it was interesting and you know as you know i'm i'm four months from becoming a dad yeah congratulations and man the interesting thing is we you know we actually found out during runga last year wow and so it was on um saturday and it was right before dinner and amelia tells me and she says I think I want to tell everyone. Cool. And it was just such a kind of testament to the connectedness of this group. And I hope my mother doesn't listen to this because I don't want her to know she was 22nd to know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, well, um, living spontaneously. <laughs> but it, it was just such a beautiful thing. At dinner, uh, you know, we did our usual blessing of the food and toast and, and the whole, we told the whole group and, it was just such a warm, inviting experience for us and just such a beautiful memory as it, as it relates to our own kind of realization that this was really happening. Yeah. And now, to your point about being four or five months in, there's a very interesting energy shift in me. And, and even when you asked me that question about if I died tomorrow, I was like overwhelmed with emotion. Yeah. Because... You've got life to live. I've got life to live here. Yeah. And I've got love to give. Love to give and a little boy on the way. And yeah. So it was Have an you ever interesting... thought of naming your boy Runga? No. Well, this is quite a masculine name. <laughs> it, it is. And it's obviously an extension of your own being. It's like your first child, Runga, meaning, you know, you created Runga. Yeah. It's, it's a product of your own gestation. I'll run it by Amelia. See what she says. It's a but it's a cool name. It is a cool name. Yeah. And he would be the only one. He would be the only one. <laughs> and only daddy and mommy could tell him what it means. And they could show him every day. Yeah. I, is... I named Mana Mana because I felt so much power coming in this soul. Mm. I knew I had a very powerful soul coming. And Mana means life force. It means sacred. And it means effective purpose. His middle name's Bumi, which is Indonesian for of the earth. Hmm. So his name means life force of the earth. It's beautiful. Yeah. And boy, is he ever. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, any any uh, closing comments that you want to share? Uh, Penny will offer uh, any offers that you want when, when you give those to her, but anything you want to say, yeah, uh, just, inspiring or closing comments i would just i would just thank people for listening and i hope that people took away some some valuable nuggets from this show i think there's a lot to be there's a lot of free medicine out there yeah and a lot of it people like you can communicate through mediums like this yeah. and uh i think that shows like this that 
that hopefully can really help people get in touch and really kind of just like we talked about with Ranga, just make some of these things your own and 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 use them to live a better life, a more loving life. And yeah. and if people take anything from this show, I'm really excited about that. I'm and sure they will. I mean, how could you not? Unless <laughs> if you've listened this long, yeah, it doesn't. Even if you don't think you've taken it away, we have planted seeds. Act on it. We have planted seeds. Just. Don't wait till you're in pain or you got a disease to water them would be my <laughs> yeah, request. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and then yeah, to your point, Paul, you know, if if folks want to get their hands on some of our mobility balls or right, yes. journals, things like that that we have on the website, we'd be happy to offer your your listeners a discount. And great. The the balls do come with a manual to unlock some of these patterns that we talked mm-hmm. about and sync some of that eye movement and breath and mm-hmm. unlock the neck, unlock the feet, and activate the diaphragm so that the system can find itself again because I think we're we're in this mismatch. You yeah. know, we've got this amazing physiology in you know a in constructs and offices and artificial light and concrete jungles that it was not meant for, and it's not it's not impossible to unlock that problem really quickly if we have the right tools. Well, you you've inspired me to share a comment from Rudolf Steiner because we've talked a lot about getting caught and phones and screens and technology steiner said men will continue to invent machines and technologies outside of himself until he realizes that everything he's inventing is a copy of a technology that already exists within (laughs) within himself the question is will he destroy himself in the world before he figures it out (laughs) And he said that in the late 1800s. Wow. We're, we're on our way. We're on our way. And Runga will help you not destroy yourself. Yeah. And realize the technology of the universe is within you. And you're not going to be wise to wait for scientists to figure it out. Because you're your own scientist and you got your own laboratory everywhere you go and it only takes like you said a commitment to even just starting your day with love and appreciation for yourself and life and you'll find that your phone is less important your drugs are less important and your distractions are less important and your addictions are less important and uh, the dance becomes one of joy you said it paul aho great spirit thanks Uh for joining me bud thanks for driving all the way down here and and I'm proud of you for bringing a cold espresso on the right day. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Paul. It's a pleasure. Tons of fun. And um, I am very grateful for the experience and your time today. And Great job in the rock garden today. Hey, thank you so much. I was testing your runga. You did good. Did I do all right? You did great. I'm not bleeding. So no, you're not bleeding. You did good. I actually bled. I, <laughs> I was moving a that great big rock I was struggling with, and it leaned over, and there was a, a ledge on it, and it scraped my ankle bone, and... I left a little I mean, medicine in the garden. So I wasn't going to try to pick up that rock. I don't know. that. I mean, 300 pounds? I don't know. Big enough to... Yeah. Big enough. You better be careful. Stuff. You'll have blood on your ankle. Well, I don't think that you could... Anyone could lift that without a little bit of... Like, it's a massive rock for those listening. Yeah, this thing know, was... It's kind of like giving birth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a male yeah. birth canal. I thought that was the seat that you use when you get tired of rock stacking. Yeah. That, that's the rock you sit it, on it to take a break. Be. It may, it would make a nice <laughs> meditation seat. I um, hope you guys have enjoyed the podcast. I've had a great time with Joe DiStefano. Runga is beautiful. You're beautiful. Life is beautiful. 
If you love the podcast, share it. If you didn't, keep it your secret. Lots <laughs> of love. Talk to you next time. Thank you, sir. Oh, it's a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Joe DiStefano. You can follow Joe on Instagram and Twitter at CoachJoeDI and at Runga Life, or listen to his podcast at CoachJoeDI.com forward slash stacked. Joe is offering Paul's listeners 20% off the Runga Mobility Balls, and you'll also get a free copy of Joe's ebook, Breathe Better, Move Better, with your purchase. Go to the Runga Life shop at rungalife.com forward slash shop forward slash runga dash mobility dash balls and use the promo code check 4D. Follow Paul on Instagram and Twitter at Living4D Podcast or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash Living4D with Paul Check. You can watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and the Czech Institute's brand new streaming media site, checkiva.com. Music